welcome, welcome, welcome back to Forward Pressing, episode 55. How are you doing today, Yannis? Doing good. Yourself? I'm good. I'm good. All right. It feels like it's been. It feels like it's been a minute, but it's also felt like not enough has happened between the last time we spoke, like on the pod. But we have had stuff that happened. We had Premier League games. We got Afcon. We got some managers got sacked, and we're gonna talk about all of it. And we have an interesting question of the week. We were already debating before we started the recording this episode, uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what everybody else thinks. But let's just get right into it. Afcon. We've had a couple games. Some things are expected, some things are not expected. I think the biggest surprise was uh, Algeria and uh, Sierra Leone. Yeah, I think the biggest surprise was Algeria and uh, Equatorial Guinea. They lost to Equatorial Guinea 1-0 yesterday. 0-0. Algeria didn't even get a goal. So far, and they have to win against Ivory Coast now. They have, they have no choice. So uh, do we think it's going to happen or not? I don't know what to expect. I, I feel like with the... They're obviously on a there's, there's urgency now, so they have to show up. I think they will, just because I think Ivory Coast have their own problem as well. Mainly the goalkeeper. If you if you saw the Ivory Coast Sierra Leone highlights, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I think Algeria will somehow manage to be one of the third best third team, but even if they do end up qualifying for the next round, I don't think I said that they were going to be in the final. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, we thought that Algeria and Senegal were the two favorites and we're talking about a rivalry brewing over the next couple seasons and everything right and they've been like two of the most disappointing teams this this tournament they've been the two most disappointing teams for the whole tournament um so I mean you you don't have that many games to play in the group stage right so um you gotta you gotta turn up especially because they were even the group that they have isn't even the hardest group I feel like well, not necessarily the hardest group, but I feel that there are games that they should be able to manage and get points from. No disrespect to AFCON, but there's definitely a different caliber of play between, like, an Algeria and, like... There's a big difference between the top and... There's a big difference, yeah. Like, uh, you know how you, you see for, like, the Euro, like, you have, like, when England plays uh, fucking San Marino, it's, it's like, 10-0, you know? And we should... I mean, Algeria is up there that they can compete with some of the best teams and uh, best countries in Europe. Um, so they got to be in the world, um, in the world. Exactly. So the fact that they're not even getting a goal, that's very concerning to be honest. And uh, I mean, we have to see in, in the next coming, uh, next coming days and in, in the games, if they can turn up. But as of right now, who would you say is, uh, you think the, the best team looking, uh, who's the best I team? I think it's between Cameroon, Nigeria, Morocco. And I would probably put Nigeria as the top just because I think they've felt they've had the most adversity in terms of their group and who they played. I'd say Cameroon had the easiest group, so it doesn't surprise me that they're dominating as they are. They just drew against Cap Verde today, but... Uh, but you play, play who's in front of you, right? So at least... Yeah, you play who's in front of you. Like, Ethiopia was... Ethiopia was nice because they were... They can play, but they got outplayed, like, physically, and it showed in the second half because they couldn't even do anything in the second half. Um, I think Morocco is probably the third best team, and I don't... I think Bufal is probably their best player. So I, I'm trying to. I wonder what they're. I wonder who else shows up because they can't just be about Bufal and Nakimi. It has to be someone else as well. Um, I think some of the strikers probably should, uh, especially Ed Nesri from Sevilla. I'm expecting him to do better in the rest of the tournament. But I feel like Nigeria has been the better team overall. They've got to be the early favorites right now. Even though I still said Senegal was going to win the whole thing, I don't. I even if Senegal ends up managing to make it, I think they'll make it through the round of 16. But 
I don't know. Everybody, I mean, Tenneco and Algeria definitely have to step up if they want to. I think they'll both make it past the group stage, but they definitely have to, like, step up their game if they want to make it to the final because it's not. it gets harder after the group stage for sure. It does. Agreed. Um, let's talk about some Prem because we had, we had a big matchup, two of the top three teams, Chelsea City. Um, it was the scoreline, I think, wasn't exactly what everybody would have expected, just a 1-0. I think we kind of thought we, we would get more goals. But I think this kind of reinforces that, I mean, the, the league is cities to lose, right? Liverpool are, are going to be a second, but they've fallen back a little bit, like on points especially. Um, Chelsea, I think, have become a little bit too inconsistent. They still have the quality to turn up and, and go on a run. But well, like, how, how, would you, how would you rank them, the top three right now? And what did you think about Chelsea City? Yeah. Well, from what I saw, because I didn't see the, the full game, it was like at 5 a.m., so I couldn't see really much of it. Um, I saw most of it, most of the highlights and all the talks around it. Uh, I think, obviously, City's one, Liverpool's two, and Chelsea's three right now. That I think that's not going to change. Um, and I think West Ham at four is logic as well. I mean, three, two, don't forget. Yeah, uh, on the Jared Bourne. I mean, we can talk. That, I saw that Jared Bourne miss. I cannot believe he missed that. That's a different subject for a different day. That might be the, best, the biggest miss of the season. Um, anyway, for Chelsea City, I think that Chelsea, Chelsea didn't see what Arsenal did against City, the blueprint of like how to go against City and to have so, some sort of success. Because if, uh, if you remember, if you recall, during the City game, Arsenal was very forward with their wingers and very direct going at the fullbacks. And I think like if it's not Cal Walker, most fullback, most Chelsea City fullback don't even like that. They're they don't really like to defend as much, even though Cal Walker is the best, probably one of the best defending fullbacks in the league, if not the best. I still think that he can get caught at, at times, and I don't think that Chelsea's wingers were doing that much. I feel if especially especially like a guy like Pulisic who usually got, likes to go one v one, didn't feel like he really did that as much. I don't expect much of Ziyech to do that, but. I do expect Pulisic to do it, and that really didn't happen. And I felt that that was probably one of the aspects of the game where I thought Chelsea was going to be better at, or at least the uh, overall it was going to be uh, beneficial for the team. Lukaku missed chances. He missed a big one. Um, so I don't know. He's, he's, he was sort of back in form, and then the whole the, this whole interview thing happened, and then it's been kind of quiet since. I hope I mean, I'm hoping that he comes back towards some sort of consistency because that's if Chelsea if they can't rely on Lukaku, it's going to be very tough to finish top three without Lukaku, even though they have their team for it. But he has to be the number. He has to be the main reason why they're winning. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be problematic. And like you mentioned last last week, like it could even have some consequences in the transfer season. Like you don't win win a game against City just because of your strike and lose. A game, just a striker. I I wouldn't say they lost it just because of him, but that chances could have changed the game. Exactly right. Like if your your goal, if your uh, your striker is getting opportunities and he's not converting, then who else is gonna get the goals if everything's going through him, right? So it, it's gonna be interesting. I still think uh, Chelsea are a top three team. Oh yeah, and also they gotta stop with that Kepa the the Kepa hate. That was ridiculous. That did not make sense to me. Like the goal was it was a beautiful goal from De Bruyne. Let's not. Let's not kid ourselves. Like, I, I, I see Kepa take a step before the shot. I don't think the step has... I mean, I've been a keeper, so I, I can see why people would say that the step would have, like, affected him making the save or not. 
I still I still feel like regardless of the step, I don't think he would have got there regardless. Uh, I think he's been solid enough in the last few games to not deserve the heat that he gets. I think it's kind of easy to go on Kepa right now. I mean, when he, whenever he plays, really, and there's one goal conceded, they're going to go at him more than they will go at Mendy. Not, like, you can, you can give Kepa shit for whatever if you want. He doesn't deserve it for this game. But not winning a game without scoring a goal. So that has that the first issue there. He could have got a clean sheet, and they still wouldn't have won. So That, that, that De Bruyne shot is like, that was a top class as always. Like he's 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 known for that shot. So you you don't expect. I mean, you don't. It's I, it doesn't surprise me that he went in. Honestly, it was a great shot. It was a better shot than the the, the keeper tried. Like it was he got beat by a good shot. That's really the end of the story. Um, I mean, I mean, when we talked about top three and 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 that it being those those three clubs. But if we want to make it to the top four, we can talk about this United uh, Villa game because we had a. We had Gerard, we had Gerard versus United once again, right? And uh, I was just gonna, I'm, I'm saying we're talking about top three, top four, but I do not think United are making top four. I think after the performance uh, against Villa. Repeat that. Yeah, you, you want me to say it again? I see your face. You want me to say it again? Yeah. I don't, with how United are playing right now, I don't think we're making top four. Um, it is what it is. We up to zero on Villa, um, choking to give, giving up two goals. The second goal, the defending on the second goal was just abysmal. Um, it's just like classic United United goals that we're giving up, um, and at this point, it's something's gotta something's gotta give because we got, we got the new manager in, and he's got to be given um, some opportunity to implement what he wants to do, right? Um, no Ronaldo still, so that's one thing. Um, but I think as things are going, I mean, Villa's a, a great squad, and we'll talk about the signings they made. But uh, I mean, that's that, up to zero. And then, and then dropping points is honestly like unforgivable. So that's not something that the players should be proud of. And I think we're talking. It feels like a loss for United, doesn't it? It does feel like a loss because we we had the win. Um, so it's tough. It's tough. And I know. I mean, let's listen. Let's talk about. I, I don't think we need to analyze the game or whatnot. But if we want to talk about like some comments made afterwards, right? I think, I think we can talk about Ronaldo saying that. He wants to motivate the squad to have that winning mentality again, not being satisfied with anything besides top one. Um, it seems like now the United's uh, ambitions are top four and just getting there. And he's like really kind of stunned by it, by this not being the club that he remembers being at before with the standards that we used to have. Then he's mentioning how like young players are kind of not really like open to taking criticism or whatnot. And they kind of have like egos. So, I mean, it just kind of sounds like the dressing room is a little bit messy right now. I mean, what are your thoughts on uh- that? I don't know. It's, uh, I mean, I think the comments, I, I saw those comments before the game. I think I saw them during the week at some point, maybe they were towards the end of the week. But I sort of see where he's coming from just because the standards were so high when he was a United in the past. And obviously the mentality was different. And I don't know if he expected this to still be there, even with the players that they had, like, currently. And don't get me wrong. It's not like Ronaldo, like, there's players from that United like era that are still in the, in the United system right now. Like, Fletcher's still there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um... I don't think he's there anymore. Didn't he just leave with Ole? Like, uh, no, that was Carrick, no? No, I know, but I thought Fletcher was also, I think he was doing some, uh, isn't he working like with the academy or something? I forget. So he's not, I'm, so I'm, I'm basically, I'm saying like, I, I thought they would still be like some sort of united, like legends in that, in the school, in some sort of the, in the, somewhere in the organization. We have, we have people in the organization that are still from, from the olden times, I will say, the, the, the golden era. 
that seems like it's so far ago at this point, so far long ago. I also think to an extent that it, it might also have to do with uh, time, giving Ragnarok time to like show have some sort of consistency with his system of play and stuff, which t- it takes time to build, right? At the same time, also from a running perspective, like you can't have you can't have the players turn against you this early. No, I don't think the players are turning against him. I think he has his philosophy, and the players are the philosophy that he has and the way he plays it is completely different from what Ole's uh, was doing before. Um, and probably the the atmosphere at the club is completely different from how Ole's managing style was. So I think there's an adaptive um, period for the players, and also like don't forget like you're dealing with COVID, you're dealing with the injuries of these players. Uh, coming and, and going already like just so early into his uh, his time at United. So it, it's not easy, but I'm hoping we see more from Van de Beek in the coming future. Um, I think he's going to leave. Van de Beek? I don't think he's going to leave. Um, I think Ragnik wants him to succeed, but I mean, I want to see how he fits into Ragnik's system if, if uh, he says he wants him, like he's going to have to play him soon. Yeah, because I mean, you said you, you, you're saying that he wants him to succeed, but the few games that Randy has, like how much, how many games has Van de Beek played? He, he's come on. He came on at the end of the Villa game. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. At the end of the. So it's it's interesting. I mean, like we were also seeing Martial. He wants to go right, and Ragnick said that he didn't want Martial didn't want to play. And then Martial comes out and says, "Oh, I always want to play for the club." The manager saying lies or whatever. So that was very controversial. Like somebody's lying in there. Somebody lying. Somebody lying. I don't know who, but somebody is not saying the truth. Exactly. And I think I think in in January, but I think it's going to be a loan. They're saying an English club is not going to get a loan to like a Newcastle or something. But there's teams in in Spain that are interested, like Sevilla. I think is very interested. He needs to play. If Marcel gets back in form, he can be a, a very good striker. He was a wonder kid when we signed him. He was the next coming of Thierry Henry. They were already giving the comparison as soon as we signed them for Monaco. Um, so he, he has world's potential. He kind of just has, has taken multiple steps back. And he's had good seasons with United. He's, he's had great seasons. It's tough because of the injuries and the signings we've brought in. Like, you're not playing Martial consistently over Ronaldo now, right? Like, if Ronaldo didn't come, it would have been Martial and, and, and Rashford up there. And Cavani coming off the bench or Cavani starting and Martial coming off the bench, like, depending on who's in form. How do you feel about Rashford, by the way? Because I feel like I don't, I don't know exactly what to feel about him. He but... was injured for a while, and I feel like he just hasn't found his groove yet. Like he, you know, like the last time he played, it was Ole era, right? And then now he's in, and he's uh, it's under Ragnik, and I think he's asking him to do different things. And I don't think Rashford's the type of player, young player, that has like an ego that thinks he's the best or whatever. I don't, I really don't think that. I really no, I don't think I don't think it's about ego, but just in terms of playing and stuff, and like the, he's very he's been injured very cons- like pretty frequently for, from from what I've seen. I feel like it, it, I'm, I'm thinking of whether it would be a case of like asking him to do too much too early because he's been in the first team since he was 16, I think, right? Or was it 17? I remember I sent you the post like when Messi was uh, was I don't know how many years old, like uh, I think maybe 22 years old or something like that. He had played like 200 and something games, and then like. Since uh, the same time period of age, he's played like 300-something games. It was like 100 more games, which is just insane for somebody of that age to play that many games. Um, so it just goes to show that like it does catch up to you and like you're just playing so much top-tier football. Um, it really takes a toll on your body. Um, but I think he's going to come into his own. They're, they're saying he, he prefers playing on the left, uh, coming inside and taking, taking opportunities that way rather than being at the top, uh, top striker. Um, I think it's just a matter of time until it clicks 
um, I really think um, Shaw, when like, Shaw, he's been kind of like injured on and off, but I think Shaw and Rashford on that left side um, was a connection that was a little bit underrated. And it, I don't know, like, listen, we're going to, we got to talk about some other things before we end the, end the pod, but I do, um, I do think Pogba may like, if he comes back and he wants to play and we get like, and Ragnick can get Pogba in like the position that he wants to be in. That could be like what the spark this team needs of like, just like a jolt of energy in that midfield to, to, to connect both the, the back and the front of the team um, on the pitch. I mean, that's something that I'm thinking about. Um, it is a big if. Um, I also want to talk about the Benitez sack and Everton. Um, but if we want to mention a couple of transfers, uh, just the names that, that were thrown out there. Ndombele. Honestly, I think Ndombele would make an impact at United. Um, I don't know where you think he goes, but I think he's getting he's he's going right. Uh, I think he is, but the price tag is an issue. I think they're, they're trying to get a sell for him, but they're going to lose the money value because they paid seventy million for him, and they're definitely going to lose value for it. I think that he's he's either going to leave for. I think he would fit great at Barca, but Barca doesn't have the funds for it. Uh, I think. What? They just said. For- yeah, they just sent Torres. I don't know how they got that, but they can't do like two big money signing in the same, in the, especially in the winter. There's no way. Uh, I think maybe alone, alone in Syria, I could see. I think Romo's been mentioned. Um, I think it could be Syria could be interesting. I would like to see him at uh, Inter. I think Inter could be interesting for him. I know I saw those links, but he he was one of the people that did not succeed under the Mourinho era at Spurs. And then he's going to go for play for Mourinho at, at Roma? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the weird part about it. I actually thought he played well sometimes under Mourinho. I don't know if they had the best, for, like, relationships. Oh, but... like, being like, we're not getting good enough. And he, like, benched him for a long time. You don't remember that? I do remember that. But I feel like the games, the few games that he did play, like, he showed up. Especially towards the end of the season. Want to play for Mourinho? I'm not going to lie. I would take it to nobody at Arsenal right now because we need midfielders as well. Yeah, that'd be great. I think, I mean, think he, he's better than... Uh... Than, than the two guys we got playing in midfield at United right now. Um, but I mean, let's touch on let's touch on uh, Benitez before we get to the question of the week. Oh, do we, uh, by the way, but Dembele is not leaving Barca as well. He's not. I don't think he will. It's it's kind of tough because he's still like that player that has so much potential, but he's always injured, and it's kind of like unrealized potential. To now we get glimpses, but we never get like the consistency yet. Yeah, but is he, I, th- I think he's gonna stay, but he's gotta chill on the demands like that. Ain't no way you're gonna get paid twenty mil for. Yeah, it's so crazy because I remember we used to. I mean, we were comparing like Dembele to like Vinicius Junior at the time, right? And I think it's just close now. Vinicius is just he's up. ahead of him. He's ahead of him. Yeah, way ahead of him. He's like Dembele thinks like he's still on the FIFA career mode, like uh. Getting that the ninety-five player overall rated potential. Uh, don't get me wrong, though. On his on his game, on his game, Dembele is one of the best in the world. Like I remember, I don't know if you saw the Sevilla game, but he did look. He there's flashes of him vintage Dembele. But the thing is, the injuries, inconsistency. We're gonna see. But Benitez, what are your thoughts? We won't go too in depth on it, but I mean, it was a short, a short. Uh, it was a bad match. It was a bad match, and I think we all knew it. I even think the people knew it. I just kind of feel like it was Everton being like, all right, we need somebody with a name to take the manager spot. Let's just give it to this guy. And then six months later, all right, we're done. It's actually funny how he got rid of one of their best players in Digne, the Villa. You saw how he played against United. 
Yeah, he was good. Now Villa got Coutinho too, and he already scored. And, and assisted. And now they're playing Everton next game. The irony. The irony, indeed. Do you think? Do you think Benitez gets another like job soon? Or yeah, I mean, he's gonna get another job because of the name. He people know he can. He's a good like game manager overall. Even though he doesn't, it doesn't, it didn't really look good with Everton or Newcastle when he was there. Like he's good enough to get a prem game, a prem job. Like where does he go then? I don't know. That's another question. That's another complicated. I think like anybody that really is has an opening in the prem, he could probably have a look at it. He could. I think he probably Benitez could probably be coached anywhere in England because he's got a pretty good reputation. Even though those last two teams didn't really work so well. I mean, his reputation is starting to become like a Mourinho reputation, right? Like you got the name, but the results aren't kind of going anymore. He had the name. I mean, he when the the second you have you don't have the results, the name like carries carries you a lot. It does carry you a lot, and it's carrying him. But at some point, we kind of start like looking like, wait, what's this name? What's this name doing anymore? Maybe maybe he can definitely do something in Spain as well. Yeah, I think Spain maybe like one of those lower mid teams in Spain, or like one of those lower teams in Spain that should be in the middle, but it isn't. Yeah, who knows? I think maybe at the end of the season, we'll see. Um, but okay, question of the week. This was a hot. This was a hot one. We know these these are two of the best midfield trios ever. I think if you count, check them at them at their peak. But who would you take to build your squad around? Modric, Cruz, Casemiro, or Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets? I would go with Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro. Really. Yo, I'm shocked. Are you? Really? We've talked about this in the past. I know, but over over Xavi, Iniesta, and Busquets? I mean, who's the best? I, it's, it's, it's not, we're talking about true. It's not individual players. I know, I know. But who's, I'm, okay, but you're, you're talking as if, uh, as if the, the, the three Barca guys weren't a complete dynasty on their own. But can we not say the same thing about the three Madrid guys? We can, for sure. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's a, that's why it's actually a debate. I think there's no bad answer really if you're talking about it. Like these are two of the best like midfield trees in the in like in the history of the game. You can't really go wrong with either. That that Barca trio put Barca at a level that we have never seen before. I feel like the uh, you can't tell me that looking at Cruz, Madrid, uh, Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro now like they're dismantling teams by themselves. I know, I know, but it's it's. Look what they did in the Supercopa. Like they've smacked Bilbao and Barcelona. Even though Barcelona played well, they've dismantled them. Like for sure, Barca are not the old Barca anymore. Like it's it's a it's the 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 time period is a little bit different, and the competition is a little bit different. Um, like when when Barca was playing Madrid, with with the, that Barca trio, the Madrid team was one, still one of the best. But right now, Barca is nowhere near the level of Madrid that Madrid was competing against Barca at the time. I'll tell you. I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. The when we talked about the the back four comparison, it's sort of the same thing. The you can compare. You can say that Xavi and Modric are pretty much no. You can say that Xavi and Cruz are pretty much even in terms of quality of play. Like passing wise, they're two of the best. Dribbling, you and playmaking, you could put Iniesta and Modric together. My, the, I think the, the difference would be Casemiro and Busquets, and that's where I think Casemiro takes a, the lead over Busquets. Because even though Busquets is great, Casemiro does much more. Busquets was, has always been underrated because nobody's really giving him the credit that he deserves. In that, in that trio, it was always Xavi and Iniesta, right? But Busquets was like the silent protector right behind them. Um, I think at this point in time with this trio, I think a lot of people are, are giving more credit to Casemiro than they were giving to Busquets at the time um, for his role in that trio. But I mean... 
you can't go wrong. Obviously, I do think you get a little bit more um, similar uh, similar playstyle cohesion with the Barca guys. I feel like all their whole playstyles are kind of like so well intertwined. Um, but yeah, you can't go wrong. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I think the like I said the the, the each tier come and pop them and complement each other at like the the best of their abilities just because of how they. That how they play with each other. You have an enforcer, you have a passer, and you have a playmaker. And like, I guess you could say, like I guess it's Modric and uh, Modric and Iniesta are the two of the good, two great even playmakers. Cruz and Xavi are two great passers, but Casemiro and Busquets. Uh, I think Casemiro is a bigger enforcer than Busquets. Who um who would you take between Xavi and Iniesta versus Cruz and Modric if you just do a duo? Xavi Iniesta and Cruz and Modric. Yeah. And then we'll end it on that. I told you, I, I would still take Modric and Cruz. Like I told you, to me, to me, Tony Cruz is the best midfielder of the decade. <laughs> I mean, but before that, who was it? It was Iniesta. It was, I, yeah, you could say it was Iniesta. You could say it was Xavi. But I think if you go from 2010 to 20, to, from 2010 to 2020, I think Tony Cruz is the best midfielder. What if you go from 20, 2005 to 2015? Then, then you add, then you put Xavi. I mean, Tony Cruz isn't even a pro at that point, but you can put Xavi. And that, that you can put in yes and Javi there as well. Yeah. All right. That's going to do for this episode. So 55 of the books. If you made it this long, we really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. I'm a Barca fan, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Good reminder, everybody to follow us on our socials on Instagram, uh, forward, forward press pod on Twitter, forward underscore pressing. Make sure you drop us a follow so you're notified every time the episodes go live. And we hope to see you next week. Hope we got some more uh, interesting things to talk about. Thanks for rocking with us. Peace.